We are your evening explorations. Allow me to show you something. Welcome to an episode where two average and definitely unqualified college students analyze and reflect on lessons in literature and relate them to past, present, and future experiences. Hit up our website to find out more about your evening explorationists listed in the description. Welcome to the end of our three-part series for the psychology of money. But in the first few episodes, we had talked about stoicism, right? And accepting that bad things uh, will happen, and they will. Yet we still try to control our environment and rationalize the events that unfold in front of our eyes. Your decisions are perpendicular to what will actually happen in the real world. And today, we will explain why it's important to prepare for that future in another episode on how to achieve success. In this episode, I strongly encourage you to follow along because there are some things that we question that may come across as a little out of pocket or peculiar. Hey, it's Nate. And hey, it's Cody. Welcome back to another episode from your Evening Explorationist. Today will be our last part in our three-part series discussing the psychology of money. I gotta say, I'm excited for this one, Nate. Well, to keep your excitement up, we're gonna be talking about the positives of getting a fever, right? Who doesn't love fevers? Fevers actually naturally have marginal benefits in fighting infections and such. So when you get a fever next, let it run its course and don't do anything to supplement the pain. Your second option, though, is to take a pill, drink some rejuvenating tea, take a nap, whatever it is, stay in, you know, and, and to wear off those side effects. Now, there's two sides to this. Here, here we're getting really philosophical. Do we follow the natural evolution of our bodies, how they subconsciously and universally produce a fever to fight bacteria? Or do we side with modern advancements in medicine? Let's take another example, investing. One way to invest is to use facts and historical trends to develop a strategy to predict the market. And I'm air quoting because you can't really predict um, which, which happens because we'll talk about it shortly. Or you can make an investment decision based on input, uh, your competition, or, or partial emotion. And this emotion I speak of develops when you fall in love with the company you're invested in. Maybe, maybe less of a marriage arrangement, but, but it comes um, when you dive into a company's policies, their purpose, outlook, even when times are tough with them. So should you attack an investment with logic or a gut feeling? You think these two examples have something in common. It's rational and reasonable. The rational person would let a fever run its course despite the pain, and a reasonable person would find a way to quiet that pain and help the body. Personally, I rationalize things I do regardless of how I feel or where I am, but I would never dream of taking medicine to fend, or not taking medicine to fend off a fever. In the investment example, a rational person would look at stats to decide how to invest, and a reasonable person would listen to others when investing. The question I want you to ponder throughout this discussion is, and what you're probably wondering is, what should you do? I'll ask this later, but please keep it in mind as we progress. <laughs> Nate, while you were talking, I did a little more research to clear the air for myself and maybe any listeners who weren't on the same page. A webpage called The Swaddle had this to say. Wait, 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 wait. You weren't listening to me? Uh, no, I was listening. I was listening. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so uh, this website called The Swaddle had this to say regarding uh, rational and reasonable people. 
rational individuals displayed more abstract characteristics like logic, emotional suppression, methodical behavior, and analytical thinking, whereas reasonable individuals displayed socially conscious characteristics like kindness, honesty, fairness, and interpersonal sensitivity. Rational people were also most likely to search through all alternatives to find the best option, while reasonable individuals were likely to accept the most suitable option. That emotion, right? Right, right, right. So when looking at your question of what should I do, or rather, where would I place myself currently, it takes me back to the conversations we've had in the past about perspective and kind of placing ourselves in the middle of the spectrum where on one end you are a super rational person or on the other end you are a super reasonable person. For me in this situation, I'd like to say I lie in the middle, utilizing my reasonable social consciousness with logical choices. But I can say in some instances, I am much more reasonable or much more rational, but it is definitely something to continue to think about, and I'm glad you brought it up, Nate. And keep that in mind, that's a hint to later. But in terms of those rational and reasonable ways, I mean, how do you even prepare for the future? Let's talk about another example. Uh, you can do some research on the ba- Battle of Stalingrad during World War II if you'd like. Uh, but there was a great point in this book with this example in terms of planning. See, this example takes place when the Germans were about to march with their arsenal um, of tanks, these new tanks, against the Soviet Union. As much preparation and strategy, manufacturing the weapons, uh, training their army uh, went into the war, they were defeated by mice. No, this is not Stuart Little or Remy just your ordinary 20th century field mice. But in any event, these these little buggers, they, they snuck into the tanks, they chewed on the wiring, so that when it was actually time to fight, the bunch of the tanks were not operable. So the message from this example is to get rat traps. And as silly as that sounds, this is not really a joke because preparation is everything. I mean, you can prepare for the worst and still be surprised. A rational person would go all out protection from the bad, from... I don't know, blast doors to bulletproof windows to uh, turrets lined up on the roof so that, you know, if any animal or burglar comes within 100 yards, they'd be absolutely mauled by their heat-seeking missiles. I don't know, silly example. But a reasonable person would also allow the bad things to happen and simply move on. So it's time to ask, what should I do? That's an interesting take on this example. These are two extremes that I was talking about previously, where one side in your rational choices, you were super prepared, maybe even over prepared. And on the reasonable side, you have let nature take its toll and you are no longer able to fight. Now, are there some gray areas in this example where the soldiers and fleet were unaware of the potential for rats? Yes. So with that, I'm unsure of the nature of the example, but I think you can see my point that there are two extremes to these decisions. And that's a thing, right, with philosophy and an internal examination of yourself and external assessment of people's views and lessons comes in a gray area, but that's the interesting part about it all. It sparks discussion and growth. So right, what should you do? So should you be rational or reasonable when preparing for the future? Let's start by saying, talking about a margin for error, or margin of error, however it is. Financially, the book the book adds, you have to secure a fail-safe, and that if you're financially stable, if you were able to lose 30% of your assets. In reference to being rational or reasonable, maybe go a little less radical in protecting your base, as I you know mentioned with the silly example, but definitely prepare and have backups to your backups. But also know that when things bad things happen, 
it's inevitable and it's important to take them on the chin and move on. Quote, the forecaster who assumes the worst and best events of the past will match the worst and best events of the future is not following history. They're accidentally assuming that the history of unprecedented events doesn't apply to the future. Quote, save for a goal, save for emergencies, save just to save. I think you bring up some really great points there. And with me being a finance major and listening to these pieces of advice, I'm sitting here like, yes, please, please save. Please understand your finances. Please take control of your financial life because it will lead to financial freedom and comfortability. Now, going back to this idea of perspective, with me loving the idea of saving and finances, I do not think this saving idea is radical at all. In fact, I would want to save more to where if I lost 70% of my assets, I would still be okay. But for you, maybe this idea is a little extra, if you will, and you are not as worried about your saving. Your perspective is different, more reasonable, if you will. And my take is more rational. But once again, a lot of the items we have discussed come back to perspective. Yeah, and that, and that perspective is everything. I mean, like, like you said, we mentioned in the previous episode, that the way you view an outcome is critical in relation to pessimism versus optimism. So we'll get into that. So, for example, if, if the stocks were to drop 1%, Wall Street would go bonkers and have headlines predicting, oh my gosh, here's the next depression, we're going to financial downfall. Yet if the stocks were to rise, somehow everyone would smile and, and be gracious and not really see it as news. Um, but somehow it's more likely the stocks will drop. And to have that pessimism is to hope for the worst so that you are surprised to feel good when it doesn't happen. But on the contrary... When investing in the market drops, are you really losing money? And you're probably saying, wow, this guy is a dick of a philosopher, just questioning everything and anything. Like, but, but hear me out. I mean, yeah, you're losing money, but what if you viewed this drop in the market as a step towards your goal of wealth and respect? Losing money while taking a risk is part of being able to be adventurous and that risk uh, and learn from things. Quote, we say, oh, I'll never make that mistake again. But in fact, you should learn when you make a mistake because you did not anticipate something. Quote, as a result, this concept of losing money to appreciate gaining money should be treated as optimism, where this is a minor fee for losing money in the stock market rather than feeling like you are paying a fine for losing it. I really like what you said there. Look at it like a minor fee rather than feeling like you were paying a fine for losing money in the market. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Along this journey of investing, hoping for a great rise or fearing a large fall, there are plenty of lessons to be learned. And a quote from Daniel Kahneman, who you just quoted, said, that's the correct lessons to learn from surprises, that the world is surprising. The world is unpredictable. Like you said, it's very, very difficult to try and predict the market 10 times out of 10. You may have spotted a trend or a historical movement, but no one truly knows what will happen next. And that is the great part about life and our huge world going back to lessons of letting go of control. Take the opportunity to learn from the surprises in life as you let go. Let go, just like that stoicism. But finally, it's time to answer the question that I propose. What should you do? Let me make you just wait a little longer by asking more questions. So what's the point then of rational versus reasonable? Should I be pessimistic or optimistic? Which one should I use? The answer to all these is that it's not universal and that different situations warrant different methods and approaches to complete a task. And I'm not saying you shouldn't use one or the other. I mean, letting a fever run its course while treating the symptoms is a great way to recover. 
Studying the market and company patterns while investing based on emotion and input is a common way to invest. The point is we are human, right? And while we should resort to some sort of rationale for a base point, it's pretty natural and typical to make our decisions based on emotion and input. And that's okay, because honestly, we can't predict the future. But that's why it's critical. That's why it's crucial to prepare for that future and finances and such so you can be stable. This emotion that we use as a focal point alludes to how we perceive a situation um, or our pessimistic or optimistic values. I think I think it's funny because throughout our life we go through these phases. For example, when we are young, we have our parents hold our hands and make sure we take medicine and we are far more reasonable about our approach to life. But then moving into our teenage years, we are far more rebellious and think we got this on our own and our mindset shifts to a more rational look. Mm -hmm. And then we get older and we kind of share a combination of both reasonable and rational thoughts. I bring up this life example because it is our experiences that truly make us who we are. We learn both extremes, reasonable versus rational, pessimist versus optimist, and so on. We have all of these choices to make as we are growing, but the the only thing we have to go off of is our experience. As we keep alluding to in these episodes, you are the creator of you. And one thing that I found personally in my, my battles with anxiety is not to be rational, in that anxiety is just an emotion, basically. You can't really describe why you're happy at some points the same reason why you can't describe your anxiety so so bear in mind that this doesn't just account for finance i mean you can attribute the style of rational versus reasonable uh, optimism versus pessimism to any aspect of your life quote that's the correct lesson to learn from surprises that the world is surprising quote you already said that i did okay well i'm going to reset it this is true uh, this is true success because we are able to find a comfortable way of developing strategies to fend off the inevitable bad in the world while still achieving our goals and finance, our dreams, and emotionally. I have a quote here from Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert that says, All of us are walking around with an illusion, an illusion that history, our personal history, has just come to an end, that we have just recently become the people that we were always meant to be and will be for the rest of our lives. Now, I read this quote and initially said, wow, this is really interesting, but then I thought a little bit more about what it was really saying here. Honestly, Despite the nature of the quote, I really do not like the way he is describing this idea of life and coming of age. His remarks state that in our lives, when our coming of age comes to an end, we've reached that age, we become stagnant and we become the people that we were always meant to be and will be for the rest of our lives. That's that's the point of it, though. That's like he's saying it's an illusion, right? So it's not like an actual way of life. Right. But in my eyes and in my experiences, I've learned that if you were ever comfortable where you are, comfortable in your job, your schoolwork, anything, to be honest, if you are comfortable, you are not growing. And if you're not growing, people around you will be working hard. They will be grinding things out and they will be growing while you are stuck in this comfortable nine to five, living the same life day in and day out. Yeah, that's true. But I also... You're right. I mean, I completely agree. It's terrible to be comfortable because you just stay stagnant. He's just saying they are stuck in the illusion. That's what he's getting at. I get what you're saying. Too, okay. So. All right. But 
Now, I cannot be the one to tell you or the listeners to get up and get going or don't get comfortable. That has to come from within you. Right. Now that I have said all this and reflecting back to the quote here and an idea came across me and from your input, when you're 75 toes in the sand at, the, at your beach home right off the water with your grandkids building sandcastles in front of you and you're comfortable and you think that you have reached your successful peak, then so be it. But that is at 75 retired with millions in assets. This is an extreme as we have discussed so much this ideal life at 75. Now, until you have worked to reach this peak, then and only then is it reasonable to be stagnant and remain that person you were, quote, always meant to be. Now, once again, just my opinion, and I hope you agree that working hard and never getting comfortable leads to this true idea of success. And we can go on and on about how success means different things for people, but I will leave you with this. Please never get comfortable. Always, always look for chances to grow. As impactful that that, that was, I hope none of you think like me and thought when he said, when your 75 toes are in the sand, I literally thought of 75 toes. I didn't think that you were 75 <laughs> at the beach. But uh, yeah, it's some great discussion we had today. And I want to conclude with um, three things that you should remember from this episode. So one, Figuring out when to be rational in some situations and reasonable in others, or a combination of both, is key to your personal development towards goals. Similar to rational versus reasonable, pessimism and optimism come at your own expense. What works and what doesn't. Attributing a good attitude to your goals is the way to go. So find a way to look at the world in a view that will keep you honest and committed. Lastly, you can't bulletproof your future as completely you know, unexpected turn that the episode was misleading and whatever. There will always be unexpected twists and turns. As a result, keep a margin of error to save for the future. That's how you be stable. Thanks for listening. This is the end of our three-part series to the psychology of money, and we'll catch you next time.